Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. My wife, as I was saying, uh, she likes picture studies. And uh, so I told her to be sure and pay attention today because I've got a lot of pictures in this one. So maybe there's uh, some of you out there also that, uh, that like a lot of pictures. But again, I'm so grateful to be here today. And uh, it's good to be here on Yahweh's Sabbath day. It's good to have this opportunity to uh, get into the word as he, and see what he says for our lives. Uh, it's good to uh, be able to worship him on this special day of rest and worship that he has blessed us with. And so um, I entitled this message, Hell, Facts and Fallacies. And I think that this topic is a timely topic. It seems that oftentimes in our religious world that you hear this topic of hell referred to. And uh, so let's uh, dive in and take a look at this today. A popular belief is that upon death, the Almighty consigns the wicked to a place of torment called hell and burns them for eternity without ever totally burning them up. We might ask ourselves, how enjoyable would the kingdom be for the righteous if they must witness friends or relatives screaming and writhing in eternal torment? Hopefully, we can all answer that such a situation would not be enjoyable. Nevertheless, the teaching of hell and eternal torment has been around for centuries and still thrives today. But is this what the scriptures really teach? And so I want to go into the first part of this examination and look at the fact that the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, not life in hell. And it's important to lay the groundwork here and emphasize the distinction between life and death before moving on to address the objections raised by others. And so let's do that. Let's, let's get a scriptural foundation under us for what the Bible does teach about end times and judgment and how that we are accountable to our almighty Yahweh. So Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of Yahweh is eternal life through Yeshua Messiah, our master. Compare that to Ezekiel 18.4, which says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Death is the absence of life, not the continuance of it. Death is not life in another place. The wicked will perish and will not have everlasting life. Here's one of the most often quoted verses in the entire Bible, John 3.16. It says, For Yahweh so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So not perishing 
and having eternal life is a reward of the righteous. Conversely, perishing, becoming no more, suffering the extinction of being is the reward of the wicked. Let's also look at Psalm 37. This time I'm going to read verses 9 through 10 and then jump up to verses 20 and 22. Notice what this passage says. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on Yahweh, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked will be no more. Indeed, you will carefully look for his place, but it shall be no more. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of Yahweh, like the splendor of the meadow, meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they will vanish away. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. And so I just want to stand over here and point to some of these phrases in this passage. Notice in this passage that eight times within these four verses... We are, giving, we are given the message, the information, cut off, no more, no more, perish, vanish, into smoke, vanish away, and cut off. Eight times in those four verses, we are told that this is what will occur to the wicked in agreement with what we've already read. The reason I highlighted in green these phrases is to point out that those who wait on Yahweh shall inherit the earth. So the righteous will inherit the earth, not go to heaven, which is another part of the idea of hell and eternal tor torment. The popular teaching is, is that some go to hell and eternal torment while others go to heaven. However, the Bible teaches that the righteous will inherit the earth. The book of Revelation, you might remember, talks about how that the holy city, the new Jerusalem, will descend from heaven to earth. And so heaven is coming to earth, you might say, but the righteous will inherit the earth. Psalm 104.35 says, May sinners be consumed from the earth, and the wicked be no more. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. Praise Yah. Yes, the wicked will suffer complete destruction. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the stake of Messiah, whose end is destruction. I hope we didn't just lose our signal right then. The signal might have suffered destruction. <laughs> All right, praise Yahweh once again. <laughs> But anyway, getting back to the text here, it talks about that, that the enemies of the stake of the Messiah, in other words, the wicked, they will have an end, which is destruction. To go on reading the verse, whose hell is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. The wicked will suffer complete destruction. Look at Malachi 4. Verses 1 through 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says Yahweh of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. 
But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says Yahweh of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. And so it talks about how the wicked will be burned up, how that they will become ashes. And so I would like to show here an illustration of ashes. Notice the ashes here being poured into the bucket. It's, it's so fine that it even makes a smoke as it's poured in. This is what ashes look like. And the wicked will be burned up and become ashes. They will suffer a complete extinction of being. Consider the record from the beginning in the book of Genesis. Yahweh said, you shall surely die in Genesis 2.17, the last part of the verse. The serpent said, you will not surely die in Genesis 3.4, the last part of that verse. Which report shall we accept? Also, the concept of eternal torment requires the immortal soul fallacy. And so I want to talk a bit about this, this idea of also having an immortal soul in connection with eternal torment. The idea of an ever-burning hell is inseparable from the popular but erroneous doctrine of the immortal soul. However, the phrase immortal soul is not in the Bible, and neither is the concept. Notice Genesis 2-7. And Yahweh Elohim formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The New King James Version, which is what I normally quote from, it says a living being. The King James Version says soul, a living soul. It's from the Hebrew word nefesh. This verse does not say that men have souls. Instead, they are souls or living beings. The Bible even calls animals souls, the Hebrew word nefesh, and they clearly are not immortal. Genesis 1.21 so Elohim created great sea creatures and every living, Hebrew word nephish, thing that moves, with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind, and Elohim saw that it was good. And so this is where we need to base our foundation on our understanding of what a soul is, what Yahweh's word tells us a soul is, how he informed us that he made us right from the very beginning in the book of Genesis. Mankind is not immortal, but must put on immortality at the resurrection of the dead. The Bible states concerning the righteous and the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Currently, man is mortal. That is subject to death. That's what mortal means. We're subject to death. 
In Hebrews 9, 27 through 28, it says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Messiah offered once was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So man is a mortal soul. It's appointed for him to die. And after that, the judgment. And then the grand goal is, is that we will be in the resurrection of the righteous and inherit immortality and become immortal people at that point. No longer subject to death. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great thing? Looking for that reward. In review, death is the absence of life not the continuance of it. Death is not life in another place. Death is an undeniable fact. Well, now that we've kind of laid the groundwork there and uh, got a scriptural foundation, let's go on to look at four words that are translated hell in the Bible, specifically the King James Version uh, is what I'm using as my basis uh, for this part. In the King James Version of the Bible, these four words are translated hell. Shield from the Hebrew text, and then the last three from the Greek text. Hades, Gehenna, and Tartaros. I was looking through some of Voy's stuff, and interestingly, almost 60 years ago, Voy also learned this information. He said, in the common version of the King James Bible, the word hell is translated from four different words, Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, and Tataros. And I tell you, having seen Boy's handwriting many times, I can tell you that's him. I, I, could, I would not miss that anywhere. And so he said here, he noted here that about 1964, he did this research. That was the year I was born. And uh, so I thought that was really neat. And here we are today, talking, still talking about these four words from the biblical texts that are translated hell and learning about them. So let's take the first one, Sheol, from the Hebrew text of the Bible. It occurs 65 times in the Hebrew text of the Bible, and it means the grave, not a fiery punishment or not a place of fiery punishment. The King James Version translates Sheol as grave, hell, and pit. Now here's where the pictures start coming in. This is called a, this graph is called a translation ring. And this translation ring is based on a report from the King James Version. And here we see the Hebrew word Sheol, uh, spelled Shin, Aleph, Wa, Lamed, Sheol, and this graph represents the relative usages or the way that the translators in the King James Version translated this Hebrew word Sheol from the biblical text. As you can see, the majority of times they translated it as grave. That's interesting, isn't it? Why would you translate it so many times grave and then come over here and translate it also so many times as hell? Also down here, there's a few instances of pit. It shows there the grave, but basically the same thing as grave. 
And so that's a rundown there of the way that the King James Version translators translated this Hebrew word sheol. Many times they translated it grave. Many times they also translated it hell. But we all know what people normally think in our culture when the word hell is heard, don't we? They don't think of the grave. They think of a place of fiery, eternal torment. And so let's, let's have the understanding under our belt that the Hebrew word sheol does mean grave. And let's look at an example study verse. Oh, by the way, before I go there, I did want to also show that the New King James Version, I wanted to show this translation ring also from the New King James Version and show an important difference here. In the New King James Version, the translators chose several times to just go ahead and leave the, word, leave the Hebrew word sheol in the text. They transliterated it. They didn't translate it. They transliterated, which means take the Hebrew letter, give it, a, give it an, an equivalent English letter, and make the word. So, so in the New King James Version, many times they just left the word sheol in the text which is actually kind of helpful because it lets the reader see what the word is in the Hebrew text and determine the meaning. Many times they translated it grave. Sometimes, yes, they did. Sometimes stick with the word hell, uh, probably to satisfy tradition, I would imagine. And then pit. You know, by the way, a grave is a pit in the ground, isn't it? So now let's look at this uh, example study verse, Psalm 16.10. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, King James Version there says hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. This is a prophecy of the Messiah's resurrection from the dead, that is, from the grave. Interestingly, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew text, translates Sheol as Hades, the grave. And we'll talk a little more about Hades shortly. But just take this as a, as a hint, as a precursor, that when we encounter the Greek word Hades, it's the same thing as the Hebrew Sheol as far as referring to the grave. And so now let's talk about Hades a little bit. By the way, that verse that we just looked at, Psalm 16.10, we're going to encounter those words again. As I mentioned, they are a prophecy of the Messiah's resurrection from the dead, from the grave, and they're quoted in Acts 2.27, and we'll see that shortly. But I wanted to mention that Hades occurs 11 times in the Greek text of the Bible, and it also, as I've already noted, means the grave. The King James translates Hades as grave one time and as hell ten times. And so here's our King James Version Hades translation ring. And so you can see here the relative use and only 11 times and 10 of those times were hell and once was grave. Now interestingly, once again, the New King James Version consistently transliterates. There's that word transliterate once again. I underscored it and I italicized it because I didn't want to miss it when I was up here talking about it. 
And I figured I would just kind of gloss right over it and say translate. But the, the New King James Version translators consistently transliterated Hades into the text in all 11 occurrences of the word Hades in the Bible. So now let's compare this passage, Acts 2, 22 through 31. Men of Israel, hear these words. Yeshua of Nazareth, a man attested by Yahweh to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which Yahweh did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of Yahweh, you have taken by lawless hands, have impaled and put to death, whom Yahweh raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw Yahweh always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Here, this is the continuation, verses 26 through 31. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades. There's the New King James Version, as I mentioned. The King James Version says hell. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, so once again, he's referring to Psalm 16.10 being a prophecy of the Messiah's resurrection from the dead. It calls David a prophet here. Being a prophet and knowing that Yahweh had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Messiah to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah, that his soul was not left in Hades, King James Version, hell, nor did his flesh see corruption. Did the Messiah go to a place of ever-burning fire? No, he went to the grave. In fact, he says he would be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And then, praise Yahweh, Yahweh resurrected him from the dead, and he came out of that grave. And so much for the word Hades. Now let's move on to the Greek word Gehenna. Gehenna occurs 12 times in the Greek text of the Bible. Both the King James Version and the New King James Version always translate Gehenna as hell. Now here's what's interesting. Pay attention to the pronunciation of that word, Gehenna. It's a reference to the Valley of Hinnom, hence the name. An area south-southwest of Jerusalem, which became a garbage dump with fires continually burning. Because of the continual fire in Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, once again, that's what Gehenna is. It's the Valley of Hinnom, or the Hinnom Valley, south-southwest of Jerusalem. Because of the continual fire there, Yeshua compared it to the end-time destruction of the wicked. For example, Matthew 23, um, And I'm not sure why Matthew 23, isn't there. I'll bet you I may have it out of order, but let me... Uh, let me go ahead and read that, and we may come across it presently. But uh, Matthew 23, 33, Yeshua speaking says, Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? 
or Gehenna. And so, but once again, because of the continual fire in Gehenna, that is the Valley of Hinnom, Yeshua compared it to the end time destruction of the wicked. And there's my verse, which I already quoted, so we'll move on. And as I mentioned, this, this Valley of Hinnom or the Hinnom Valley, it's south, southwest of Jerusalem. So this is an interesting map to look at. Right down here is the Hinnom Valley. This is the city of Jerusalem. Down here we have the Hinnom Valley. Over here we have the Kidron Valley, which is between the Mount of Olives and the, and the east side of Jerusalem. And it extends on up, Mount of Olives out here. And so it's just kind of interesting to get the lay of the land. But out here is the Hinnom Valley. And this Hinnom Valley became the city dump. Uh, fires continually burned out there. They tossed trash out there. They tossed, they tossed wicked people out there. And also here is an illustration of the Hinnom Valley. Now this illustration, I suppose, was taken uh, maybe after uh, it got through being a city dump, maybe even before, but I'm I'm guessing very possibly this is an artist's rendition uh, of what the, the Valley of Hinnom once looked like. Notice up here we have the, the city wall, and you come down the hill into this valley, uh, into the Hinnom Valley. And so once again, bear in mind, because this will come up again, but Gehenna, commonly translated hell, is simply a reference to the Hinnom Valley, a dump where fires continually burned. Now let's look at that fourth word, tataros. It occurs only once in the Greek text of the Bible and means a deep abyss. It is described as a holding place for angels who sinned, not human beings. Second Peter 2, 4 says, For if Yahweh did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, or tataros, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and then the thought continues on in the text, but that's the, that's the only verse I need at this point to, to show the use of there of Tataros, used only one time. And so now that we've gone through these four words that are translated hell, let's look at some of the answers or some of the, some of the questions that might come up that will need answered. The Bible speaks of unquenchable fire. And so let's take a look at some of these verses. Mark 9, 43 through 48, Isaiah 66, 24, Jeremiah 17, 27, and 52, 12 through 13, and Jude 1, 7. Let's look at how the Bible describes unquenchable fire. So once again, please excuse the scrolling, but I would like to, uh, I'd like to put these up here and and emphasize the points. So once again, remember that Yeshua referred to Gehenna as a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Let's read Mark 9, 43 through 48. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And my note here is that not literally, but figuratively, cutting the sin out of your actions and thoughts. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell, that is to Gehenna, into the fire that shall never be quenched, 
where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, Gehenna, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of Yahweh with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell, that is Gehenna, fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Recall that Gehenna, the Hinnom Valley, was a garbage dump, a place of continual burning. Think of how much clearer the text would read if it reported that Yeshua warned against being cast into Gehenna, that is the Hinnom Valley fire, thus comparing it to the end time destruction of the wicked. Because that's what the text actually said was Gehenna, the Hinnom Valley. It didn't say hellfire, it said Gehenna fire. Those people, those people there in Jerusalem were familiar with that spot, as you can imagine. And so Yeshua used it as a representation of end-time destruction, not a place of ever-burning eternal torment. The dead were out there in Gehenna, and they were consumed by the fire. Now, as far as not being quenched, the fire in Gehenna was not quenched. It burned continually. However, it is not still burning today. After consuming the combustible material, the fire went out, but no one quenched it. And so that's an important point. No one quenched it. But after it consumed the combustible material, it did go out. The text also spoke of worms or maggots. These also consumed flesh out there. The maggots did not die because there was always something to sustain them. Subsequently, they underwent a metamorphosis, at which time the maggot does not die, but changes into a fly. Maggots love to feast on dead things. For example, concerning King Nebuchadnezzar, Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 14, 11, your pomp is brought down to Sheol, and the sound of your stringed instruments, the maggot is spread under you, and worms cover you. And so we can see from that passage very clearly that maggot, maggots love to feast uh, on dead things out there. Isaiah 66, 24. So above, when Yeshua cited this, uh, this phrase about the worm not dying and the fire not being quenched, he was actually citing from Isaiah 66, 24, where Isaiah wrote a future judgment. And he says, And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says Yahweh. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm does not die, and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. And as we just got through talking about the maggots and the gross stuff going on, you can see how that they would be in an abhorrence, can't you? Let's go on to look at Jeremiah 17, 27. It also speaks of an unquenchable fire. 
But if you will not heed me to hallow the Sabbath day, such as not carrying a burden when entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. Well, Jeremiah 52, 12 through 13 reports the fulfillment of this judgment. Notice it says, Now in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, which was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard who served the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of Yahweh and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. By the way, a record of this is also found in 2 Kings 25, 8 through 10, which I won't read at this time. But the points here, Jerusalem was burned with unquenchable fire. No one was going to quench that fire, for it was the judgment of Yahweh. Is that fire still burning today? No, it is not. After the combustible material was consumed, the fire went out, but no one quenched it. Let's look at Jude 1.7, or Jude only has one chapter, but so Jude verse 7. It says, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. The Faith Life Study Bible comments, Yahweh, and interestingly, they, this, this commentary or these notes in this study Bible it actually did use the word Yahweh there. Yahweh, whose judgment is eternally true, destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with sulfur and fire. Genesis 19.24. These cities serve as symbols throughout the Bible of divine judgment executed by fire. And it gives several verses there. So, according to the text, Sodom and Gomorrah and their inhabitants, of course, because it was the cities and the people who lived there in those cities, suffered the vengeance of eternal fire. But are these cities still burning? No, they are not. They burned until they were consumed. The fire is eternal in the sense that it consumed those cities forever. And so we see this, we see this expressed again and again in Scripture about unquenchable or eternal fire. And we can see that those fires are not still burning today, but they burned until they consumed what they were burning. They were not quenched. They burned until they consumed what they burned, and then they went out. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. This is where Yeshua referred to everlasting punishment. It says, And these will go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into eternal life. The wicked will be punished. You know, we read early on that the wages of sin is death in Romans 6.23. So they will be punished. And that punishment, by the way, will remain in effect forever. There is no resurrection from this death. This is the finality. And so in this sense, it is everlasting punishment. Let's compare that to Revelation 21.8, which tells us, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, 
which is the second death. Notice the contrast there, death, not life. Let's go on to look at the rich man and Lazarus. That's always, it seems like, brought up in connection with this topic. And for time's sake, I'm not going to go through the whole parable, but I'm going to hit some high points and then cover some things, some, some other things said in the book of Revelation. But in this passage, Yeshua told a parable about a rich man in a place of torment having a conversation with Abraham, who was presumably in heaven. This is a parable. Merriam-Webster defines a parable as a usually short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle. And so I'm going to go through and hit some of the highlights um, in this passage. Um, it's Luke 16, 19 through 31. But in verse 22, notice that the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, that's interesting. In Hades, what is Hades? Hades is the grave. It's like the Hebrew word Sheol. So it doesn't say Gehenna. The text says Hades. The reason is, is because this is a parable. It's not, some, it's not a literal, literal story. And so it says he was basically, it says he was in torment in the grave. And he saw Abraham afar off. You might remember that he asked to send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Well, if this weren't a parable, if it was literal, he would be asking for great buckets and maybe an ocean of water to be brought in to cool this place of ever-burning torment down. Can you imagine? Not just a drop on the tip of his tongue, but a great massive amount of water to resolve this situation. And so it mentions that there was a great gulf fixed between this man and Abraham and Lazarus. And I want to read the final... Um, Let's read the final verses, 27 through 31. Then he said, I beg you, this is the rich man said, I beg you therefore, Father, talking to Abraham, that you would send him to my father's house, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. And so factors indicating that this is a parable and not an actual event is, as I mentioned, it says the rich man was buried. He was in Hades, which is the grave, not Gehenna, symbolic of a place of destruction. Also, I would like to ask, is the place of torment within sight and speaking distance of heaven? Because there was this conversation going on in this parable. I don't think so. It says he saw Abraham afar off. And then it talks about this conversation ensuing. And as I mentioned, there was a great gulf between the two. 
Also, could anyone be burning alive and hold a conversation with others? Once again, I don't think so. If this were not a parable, but an actual event, once again, there would have been more than a drop of water asked for, copious amounts of water to extinguish the flames in which he was tormented. Again, this is a parable. The takeaways from this parable are, you know, a parable teaches lessons. The takeaways from this parable are, don't behave like the rich man did. If you do, you'll reap the punishment. And hear and believe Moses and the prophets as we read from verses 27 through 31. Let's get those takeaways down deep and hide them in our heart, shall we? And so now I want to move on to the book of Revelation. And I'm getting close to being done. You know, those are dangerous words when somebody giving a message says that. But uh, let's look at the last book now. We looked at the first book earlier. Let's now spend some time in the last book, Revelation, starting in chapter 14, verses 9 through 11. And a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of Yahweh which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So let's look at the phrase, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. It's probably going to be just a little while yet, Walker. <laughs> uh, so their smoke ascends forever and ever. Smoke results from something burned. In harmony with other Bible verses, the wicked suffer death and are consumed by the fire. You remember all those verses we read to get this foundation under us? That the wicked suffer death and that they're consumed by the fire? Romans 6.23, Ezekiel 18.4, John 3.16, Psalm 37, 9-10, 20 and 22, Psalm 104.35, Philippians 3.18-19, and Malachi 4.1-4. Especially in regard to this smoke ascending up, let's review once again Psalm 37.20. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of Yahweh, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish into smoke they shall vanish away. So yeah, there will be smoke. And what does it say also about them? It reminds us that they will perish. They will vanish into smoke. They will vanish away. Remember, we looked at Jude 7, which speaks of the vengeance of eternal fire that burns Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. But again, these cities are not still burning. The fire is eternal in the sense that it consumed those cities forever. Likewise, Revelation describes the smoke from the Babylonian system rising up forever and ever. A great multitude, this is mentioned in verse 1 of chapter 19. We're getting ready to read verse 3. But a great multitude stated of her, Babylon's judgment. Revelation 19.3, again they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up 
forever and ever. But as the evidence will again show, the fire will not continue to burn for all eternity. Compare these verses. Revelation 18, 8. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is Yahweh Elohim who judges her. Revelation 18, verse 21, same chapter going up to verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down. And notice what it says about it here, shall not be found anymore. That's total destruction. That's not seeing a place where you can see that, oh yeah, the city was right there, there's its smoke. It says it will not be found anymore. Why will it no longer be found? Because it's utterly consumed in harmony with the context and scope of Scripture throughout the Bible. Moreover, 2 Peter 3.10 states that the heavens will pass away, the elements will melt, and the earth will be burned up. Additionally, verse 13 states that there will be new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So let's look at that passage. And Walker, you can probably begin whenever you're ready. Hey, I wanted to mention that I appreciate the song you sang this morning. I did not tell Walker what I was speaking on, but did you, do you remember how he talked about that he would be in the grave for maybe a year or two? And, uh, and then he was going to rise up and be in the resurrection some of the very things we've been talking about today. He mentioned that he's going to the grave, not, not, not immediately to hell or immediately to heaven, but to the grave, to Sheol, to Hades, and he's going to await the resurrection. It's appointed unto man once to die. You remember that verse from Hebrews 9, 27? And after that, the judgment. We're mortal right now, but... Praise Yahweh, we must put on immortality at a later day. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for. So, 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13. But the day of Yahweh will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and reverence, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of Yahweh, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You know, you might have forgot by now, but there was another part in Revelation 14, 11 that needs addressed. It says that they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. The words worship and receives are present tense verbs 
And I checked that out in the Greek text as well. They're present tense verbs and thus refer back to the time that these wicked people are still alive, worshiping the beast and receiving his mark before their final judgment. They have no rest day or night because they will drink of the wine of the wrath of Yahweh, mentioned in verse 10, and suffer the seven last plagues poured out upon them, mentioned shortly after that in Revelation 15:1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of Yahweh is complete. Let's live before Yahweh an honest and a righteous life. Let's live before Yahweh so that he can grant us an abundant entrance into his kingdom. Let's live before Yahweh so that we don't have to suffer that punishment of death and total extinction of our being, never to live again, but that we'll inherit everlasting life in a beautiful kingdom of paradise. And may Yahweh richly bless you. Thank you.